Welcome to the hills. All of you that watch online so faithfully and all of you in person at any of our three campuses across our city. I am thankful. I try to be thankful all the time, my lifestyle, not just today, but I'm especially thankful today. I'm thankful to be a pastor of this church. I'm thankful to be a pastor of a generous church. In one week, we've had the largest harvest offering we've ever had. We came closer to our goal in one week than we've ever come. And I just want to say thank you. And I know some of you still haven't had a chance to give. You weren't here last week. And I have no doubt we're going to reach our harvest offering goal earlier than we ever have as a church. I just want to say thank you. I'm also thankful that in all the years I've been here, I've been shepherded by great men and pastors and leaders. And we're about to ordain some new men, and I want you to be aware of that. Last August, we asked you to give us names of men that you could see serving as the next generation of shepherds of our church. We're ready now to share the names of those men with you, so you should be seen on the screen at every campus, the men who attend your campus who are being put forward as the next group of elders of our church. If you want to see the whole list, you can go uh, in person and get a sheet at the Welcome Center or Go to the website, especially if you're watching online, and all of the names are there. And we want you to be in much prayer about this. Now, the Bible says the number one quality you look for in an elder is blamelessness. It doesn't mean he's a perfect man. It means he's the kind of man that will not bring reproach on the church by the way he lives at church and away from church. So if you have a concern about any of those men, you need immediately to go to them and tell them why. And if that concern isn't relieved, you need to go to an elder quickly. We plan to join the men at West Fort Worth and South Lake Campus on December 5th. I'll be there in person to do that. On December 12th, we'll ordain the new group of elders for this campus. And so please be in much prayer and be thankful to God that he continues to raise up the next generation of leaders. Now today, I have a special message. It's a one-shot message, not a part of a series. It's a message God began to birth in me back in August. And I felt it would be timely for this season, and you'll see why in just a moment. I want to talk today about relationships, and in particular, about broken relationships. So some years ago, a U.S. air jet landed in Fort Lauderdale and made a wrong turn and came nose to nose with the United Airlines jet. And on tape, you can hear the air traffic controller go ballistic. You can hear an irate female voice scream, U.S. Air 2771, where are you going? I told you to turn right on Charlie Taxiway. You turned right on Delta. Stop right there. I know it can be difficult to tell the difference between a C and a D, but get it right. And she continues to lash out. You've screwed everything up. It'll take forever to sort this out. You stay right there and don't move until I tell you to. You can expect progressive taxi instructions in about a half hour. And I want you to go exactly where I tell you when I tell you, and how I tell you, you got that, U.S. Air 2771. And then after a long, awkward silence, you can hear on the tape a male voice say, wasn't I married to you once? <laughs> okay, so it seems that it is more difficult than it has ever been to get along with people 
that we think are difficult. Now, over the last two years, we have all suffered huge losses. But the most painful losses we've suffered all involve relationships. You might recall last summer, we did a series on the book of Habakkuk. And I started the series by giving everyone a post-it note and say, would you come forward on the wall and would you put on this wall a huge loss you have suffered in these last about 18, 19 months? And the response was overwhelming. And I read every note at every campus and it was heart-rending. And without question, the number one most painful loss in our church involved relationships. Now, some were actual physical loss through death, including some who've passed because of the COVID virus. But most were a different kind of loss, a loss due to estrangement. I read note after note that said something like, in the last 18 months, I have lost my best friend fussing about politics. I lost my marriage. I have lost relationship with my children or someone close in my family arguing about COVID protocols. Is this hitting close to home? And I think I know why the Holy Spirit prompted me the way he did. Because in the next few weeks, a lot of us are going to be in very close proximity with people that in the last two years we have grown estranged from. And it's hard to be happy when our core relationships are not healthy. And so as we enter this holiday season, maybe it's time for a reset. Perhaps it is time to give peace a chance. And so... The text the Spirit put on my heart that I've been living with the last couple of months is in Romans chapter 12. Would you open your Bibles there and keep them open to that text throughout this message? Starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the first thing that text makes clear is that as a Christian, you're going to have some relational conflict. Being a Christian doesn't mean a relationship suddenly just got easy. You're going to have conflict even with other Christians. The surprise is not that Christians have relational conflict. The surprise should be the way Christians respond to relational conflict. 
Christians should aggressively wage peace. The goal is more than just the offering of forgiveness. The goal is pursuing reconciliation, repairing the relationship. Now, let me be very clear what I am not saying. Sometimes reconciliation is unwise. And I'm talking about where abuse is involved. Where there has been verbal and emotional and physical and sexual abuse. I am not saying you should just get over it and get back into a relationship where more abuse could take place. But let's be honest. Most of the time when there's a relational breach and there is no reconciliation, it is not because reconciliation is unwise. It is because it is uncomfortable. And Christians should never passively accept cold war. Well, you just stay over there and I'll stay over here and we'll just promise not to shoot at each other. That's never good enough for Christians. Paul says, as far as it depends on you. So here's the big takeaway from this text, that followers of Jesus go far to live at peace with others. The emphasis of this text is not waiting on the other party to make things right and then responding appropriately. The emphasis is on making the intentional move in the direction of the other person. Look again at verse 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to keep the drawbridge down for others. And as Christians, we have a very strong motivation to move in the direction of someone where there's a broken relationship, and it might not even be our fault. You say, why, Pastor? Why on earth, if the relationship is broken and it wasn't my fault, why should I care? Why should I move in that direction? Simple, because that's what God did for you. Remember, we broke the relationship. We turned our back on God. And God pursued us. It's the big message of the Christmas season we're about to enter. For weeks, the primary message of the church is going to be when we didn't deserve it, when we disturbed the peace, when we broke the relationship, God still came after us. And so this holiday season, perhaps God is calling you to give peace a chance. The Hebrew writer said, work at living in peace with everyone. And it is work. It's hard work. It's work that must be pursued in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, let me suggest three prayers you can pray these next few weeks that I believe will give the Spirit more room to work. Here's prayer number one. God, help me see my log in the fog. Because let's be honest. It is rare for conflict to be the total fault of only one person. It might be mainly one person's fault. But it is very rare that conflict is the total 
fault of just one person. And giving peace a chance means acknowledging the chance that some part of the tension is mine to own. And this is very hard for me, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm right most of the time. <laughs> At least I think I am. And I guarantee you, if there has been a break in the relationship, I think I'm right. Isn't it interesting that right after Paul said, live in harmony with one another, he said, do not be proud. You cannot end hostility without humility. And we're all more self-righteous than we think we are. And self-righteousness clouds our vision. It is amazing how much acuity I have at seeing what's wrong with you. And how much fog there is when it comes to seeing what I need to own. And that's why Jesus said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? So that's the first thing we pray is, God, help me see my log in the fog. It reminds me of a story I read years ago in Reader's Digest. So a woman wrote in about a conversation she had with her mother, who many years ago had been through a divorce and had never pursued remarriage. And so this grown daughter was asking her mom, why have you never thought about getting married again? And she replied, because men just come with so much heavy baggage. And I just don't need all their baggage in my life. And the daughter took her mother's hand and said, Mom, I hate to break this to you, but you're not exactly carry on yourself. <laughs> you see, one of the reasons we take communion every week is because we need the reminder that we all have some baggage. That we all need grace. And there are times when I just need to pray God, is there something about me that is an obstacle to us? Let me say that again. There are times when you need to pray, God, is there something about me that is an obstacle to us? In Proverbs, we read, fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Fools say, not my problem. Not my concern. Godly people own their wrong and try to make it right. And so be humble enough to do that. To acknowledge what you need to own, even if what you need to own is small compared to what they ought to own. And just say, I'm sorry, by the way. Don't say, I'm sorry, but. Don't say, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not apologizing. That's justifying. Just say, I'm sorry. And don't wait to do it until you feel like it. That's the second prayer. After you pray, help me see my log in the fog, pray, God, give me a heart to start. Please notice, nothing in Paul's instructions suggested waiting for the other person to approach you. This is not a text about how you act when the other person makes the first move. This is a text about you making the first move, even if you're not the one that created the mess. Look at the verbs again. Bless those. Do what is right. Overcome evil with good. This call is not to be a peace lover. It's to be a proactive peacemaker. It takes more than deciding what you're not going to do. 
to make it worse. It takes deciding what could I do to make it better. And that leads to one of the most radical things Jesus ever said. And we read it so fast, I don't think we realize how radical it is. It was in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus said, If you were offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. There's a good chance you didn't realize how radical those words are. In those days, you didn't get in the car and drive 10 minutes to go to church. And you couldn't just step out in the foyer and get on your phone and send somebody an email and say, I'm sorry. Many times you walked hours or even days from your village to get to the temple. Do you understand how stunningly inconvenient these words are? What, Jesus? It took me three days to get here. You're telling me just to leave my gift, walk back three more days, make it right, come back three more days? I can't do that. Besides that, not only is that inconvenient, isn't that irreverent? Isn't God supposed to be first? Aren't we supposed to love God more than we love people? Are you telling me I should love people more than I love God? Here's what Jesus is saying. You cannot be close to God when you are intentionally choosing to stay distant from somebody God loves as much as he loves you. Because a father doesn't want gifts from kids who aren't talking to each other. Do you? Some of you like me that are empty nesters. Could you imagine me getting a call from one of my children saying, Dad, I want to bring you a Christmas gift, but I don't want to be there when my brother and sister are there. I don't want to see them. I just want to bring you something. What father is honored by a gift from a child that won't talk to his brothers and sisters? God isn't. Jesus is clearly saying, do not wait. Initiate. So several years ago, I had the privilege to speak in Washington, D.C., and I had some extra time and so I did what I had never done before, what I'm sure many of you have done, and I walked around the Great Mall. And my favorite thing to see was the Lincoln Memorial. And if you have been there inside, you'd see on the walls are engraved two of the greatest speeches ever given by an American, the Gettysburg Address and the Second Inaugural. And in Lincoln's Second Inaugural, he knew the war was almost over. And he intentionally has that great line that's right there on the wall. With malice toward none, with charity toward all. And soon Lincoln would have a chance to practice what he spoke. The day the word came, the war was over. There was a celebration on the lawn of the White House. Lincoln came out to speak on the patio. And at the end of his speech, he turned to the band that was gathered and said, Now, I want you to play a song for me. So they all got the sheet music out for Battle Hymn of the Republic, the theme song of the Union Army. And Lincoln shocked everyone and said, I want you to play Dixie. Now, Lincoln was not saying both sides are equally at fault. The cause of the Confederacy was anti-God and anti-gospel. What he was saying was that if we are going to heal this divided nation, 
We're going to both have to move toward each other. And I'm ready to start. In a world full of conflict, Jesus is sending his disciples as his peace corps. We are to attack other people with good. And to do that doesn't just require divine power. It requires divine wisdom. And so after you've prayed, show me my log in the fog and help me have a heart to start. Pray this prayer. God, show me how to bless this mess. Following Jesus is more than just disdaining badness. It is dispensing goodness. And one thing Christians never do is succumb to two wrongs make a right kind of thinking. But I didn't start it. I don't care. But they just keep. I don't care. But don't they deserve to be? Hey, by the way, judgment and punishment is God's job. Leave it to Him. We never think two wrongs will make it right. We think respond to wrong with a right. And the reason we think this way is because Jesus did and taught us to do the same. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, is Jesus saying just be a wimp and a doormat? He's not condoning passivity. Jesus is condoning courageous activity. Do you know how strong and brave you have to be to receive something that is ugly or evil or unkind and intentionally choose to respond with goodness? He's calling us to act on the conviction that evil is no match for good. That when you return good for evil, you're not just being Christ-like, you're being smart. It's the most effective way to respond. In fact, to be unsure of the power of good is to be unsure of the power of God. You know, Jesus' whole life was built on this conviction that good is greater than evil. That's why he went to a cross. And on a cross, he willingly absorbed evil and deliberately dispensed grace. And so, in some ways, you could sum up that whole text in Romans 12 with one phrase. Take up your cross. When the peace has been disturbed and somebody you were once close to is now estranged, take up your cross. What does that look like? There are some suggestions right there in the text where you request revelation from God. You might ask God for words that would build up the other person. They weren't expecting a blessing, but you gave them one. Ask God what to say. Maybe you could ask God for wisdom on ways you could celebrate with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm not saying you condone sin. 
I'm saying almost every person has something going on in their life you could celebrate or praise. Or maybe you could ask God for insight in how you could mourn with them. Because most people, when they've been unkind or ugly, they're coming out of a wound you may not even know about. So maybe you could just mourn with those who mourn. Or you could ask God to reveal needs you could meet. Paul said if they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Ask God for a simple way that you could just unexpectedly show kindness. Because here's the thing. Spitefulness may break the spirit, but only kindness will break the heart. So I challenge you, church, this holiday season, let down the drawbridge instead of keeping up the fence. That reminds me of a story I read some years ago. I don't know if they still exist, but for many years there were two fences in the farmland of Alberta, Canada that ran over a half a mile side by side, two feet apart. And here's the story. The land is owned by Paul and Oscar, two farmers. And Paul went to Oscar one day and said, I want to run some cattle on my land. Let's go in together and build a fence. And Oscar said, why do I want to help you pay for a fence I don't need? You build it. So Paul did. Oscar saw him and said, I see we have a fence now. And Paul said, what do you mean we have a fence? I had my land surveyed. And I built my fence two feet inside my land. If you ever run livestock on your land and it gets up next to my fence, they're on my land and I will shoot them. And later, when Oscar wanted to run some livestock, he had to pay to build a fence for half a mile, two feet away from Paul's. And those two men died, never reconciling. What do you think the reputation of those men was in the community? Of two old, stubborn codgers who left a legacy of foolishness. You don't want that to be your legacy. Trust me. You don't want to be remembered at how well you practiced Cold War. And so, give peace a chance. Even if it doesn't bless the other person, it'll bless you. Here's why. You know, reconciliation is a two-way street. I can forgive you, but I can't make you want to reconcile. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, all I can do is what I can do. As far as it depends on you. The goal is knowing you did everything you could do. You may not achieve reconciliation, but you can relieve regret. You see, when you go far to live at peace with others, you can live at peace with yourself. You can know, as far as it depended on me, I sought peace. Jesus said, happy are the peacemakers. He never promised we'd always have peace on the outside. In fact, just the opposite. He said, in the world you will have trouble. He never promised peace on the outside, but Jesus promised if you will obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you can live with peace on the inside. 
It's a great way to live, and it's a great way to be remembered. And that brings me to one of the favorite letters I've ever read. It was written by George Bush on his last day in the White House before he was replaced by Bill Clinton. You can see a copy of it dated in January of 1993. George Bush had lost an election. He was a one-term president, something no president ever wants to be. And his last act as president, and back then this was not the custom of presidents, was to leave a note for his successor. And the note read, Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism. You may think is not fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. And I'd like to believe that when he left the Oval Office for the last time, he left with peace on the inside. In fact, we now know that he went on to become a father figure to Bill Clinton that Mr. Clinton never had as a boy. Now that's a legacy worth leaving. And so, dear friend, as we enter this holiday season, the best gift you could give anyone is this. Give peace a chance. So I'd like you to bow with me. And I'm going to give you about 15 seconds of silence with the Lord. And here's what I want you to do. Just pray this prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do with this teaching? And then be still and let the Holy Spirit respond. Lord, is there something you specifically want me to do with this teaching today? Spend some time with the Lord. So God, the sin nature is so strong. It is so easy for us to justify our frustration, our anger, our refusal to forgive, even our contempt. But help us, God. Help us remember you don't want you don't want your kids coming to the Father when they're not talking to each other. Help us to remember that we don't want you to treat us like that. When we hurt, when we turn our backs, when we mess things up, we want you to pursue us. 
And so help us, God, to be to each other like we want you to be to us. And help us to cherish and love and wage peace. It'll bless our neighbor. It'll make us feel better. And it'll help Jesus look good. So we ask it in his name. Amen.